Um, I want y'all to welcome my friend, my brother. Um, y'all welcome. He's no stranger here. Uh, he's known as the truth. He's my brother. Y'all welcome him as he comes and gives the word of God. Yeah. Morning, morning, morning. How's everybody doing? Y'all all right? 25 years of ministry. We're so honored to be here today and celebrate uh, your brother and the first lady. Uh, um, I want to give honor to my wife, Nicole Lambert, and my beautiful little baby girl, Summer Rose Lambert. She's here with us. Um, this, has been an, this has been an exciting weekend, um, a lot of impromptu, especially yesterday we had an opportunity to go to New York and hang out. We planned it, it just kind of happened. So that was really cool. Going to Times Square, looking at the jumbled fries. That's kind of our thing. So it was, we were blessed like to just kind of have it happen throughout the flow of the day. Um, got to hang out with, hang out with Brad and Barbie. <laughs> just a really great time. Um, so it's been a really cool weekend. Getting an opportunity to celebrate um, our brother. He is truly a brother to me, the Kindred Spirit. Uh, kindred Spirits and uh, love each other deeply. And um, even though I'm moving, you already know. <laughs> that don't mean nothing. <laughs> um, anyway, let's get into the word. Um, I appreciate you all. Um, love you all. And uh, I honor you as well. I think that, um, you know, it's, I think that it's important sometimes for uh, leaders to be intentional and purposeful about making sure the people know that you are honored. Do you understand? Um, and, and I think that that's an important kind of um, discipline for us to be intentional about giving honor one to another. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Like, don't just give honor to the people up front or the people that hold high positions of authority. The Bible says give honor one to another. So I honor you this morning. I honor you, musicians, band, worship team, um, all of all who serve here in every capacity. So let's pray again to the word. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. Thank you for your word, for it is true that you sanctify us by your truth. In Jesus' name, we give this time over to you and welcome your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we are talking about, um, this morning we are talking about, can you guys hear me? Okay? You can? Okay, cool. Um, we're talking about the five secrets of Satan. The five secrets of Satan. Um, there's a there's a lot that uh, Satan actually does not want us to know. Um, things that he would love to keep hidden from us. Um, that, that's what he does best, isn't it? Like he cloaks, he hides, he deceives. Um, Satan is actually uh, really brilliant. You know, we don't really talk about Satan in this way, do we? Um, there are certain ways in which we naturally think about Satan based on uh, what the culture kind of has, has taught us, uh, based on what we've learned through, you know, entertainment, you know, mass media. Um, and we really don't, so we have this like picture of Satan that I think is a distortion. Um, I think that we kind of have uh, a, a caricature of Satan in our minds. You know, caricature is like you go to the amusement park or even down here, I mean, I'm sorry, in New York, like as you as you're kind of like, you know, walking down the street, there are all these like artists and you sit down and they they kind of do a picture, a picture of you. They'll deal with pencil or whatever. 
and they'll make your head big and your arms small, and they'll make your legs long, and they'll make your torso really round. Well, that is you. Like, if, if a friend of yours saw it, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's Manny. Uh, <laughs> but it's a distortion of you. It's, it's, it's a distorted version of you. You look like that, sort of. And I feel like that's kind of how we think about God and Satan oftentimes. We have, we have a picture of them, kind of, sort of, but it's oftentimes uh, distorted. You know, it's, it's unbalanced, it's out of whack. And so when you think Satan, you don't think brilliant. He is actually brilliant, though. <laughs> he's actually pretty, he's pretty sharp. Um, he's measured. He's patient, actually. Um, you know, I think about, like, um, when, you know, foreign, um, kind of foreign countries want to hurt the U.S., what they do is they send a mole. And a mole is somebody who's adversarial. There's somebody who is sent to bring harm to us, uh, but you would never know it um, because they, they're sent in, you know, when they're young, they're five, six, seven years old, they, they come up through the ranks of government, they're bright, they're sharp, and they appear to be on your side when they're actually not. And so Satan, in the same way, is patient because they'll wait it out. They'll come in at five or six years old, and they won't make a move until they're 45. They wait it out. In the wilderness, the Bible says that that lasted for 40 days. Satan was patient. He waited it out. And so there are a lot of ways in which we don't think, a lot of things that we don't think about Satan that we should, because if we are aware, then we can prepare. That's why this is important. It's not just for the sake of, of highlighting the anatomy of <laughs> Satan. <laughs> it is for the purpose of becoming aware of who our enemy is so that we're prepared in knowing how to fight against them. All right, so can we do that this morning? Let's do it. Let's talk about the five secrets of Satan. Um, awareness. Awareness. Awareness is important. Awareness is important because... Um, if when we're not aware, we get blindsided. This is why Jesus so stressed uh, the importance of being sober-minded, right? He says, be alert, be aware, be sober-minded, right? Uh, why? Because we have, if we're not aware, if we're not alert, then we can easily be blindsided. You know, this is a generation where we're constantly, our, our faces are kind of constantly buried in our phones. So we're really not aware oftentimes of our surroundings much more. We used to be a little bit more aware than we were at times, at times past, but now it's really difficult for us to be aware because we're here, right? So we're constantly distracted, right? And when you are distracted, it is, you become easier prey for people who are looking to do you harm. This is the importance of, this is why it's so important to be aware, to be alert, Jesus, be alert, Jesus. And he stressed this to the, to the disciples, be aware, be alert. Why? Because you'll get blindsided. If you're a lifeguard, that's what you can't afford to do. You cannot afford to not be alert. <laughs> it is your job to be alert. How much more the people of God? Awareness, alertness, otherwise you will be blindsided. And so Jesus says, be aware, be sober-minded, be alert so that you're not blindsided. Be aware, be alert, be sober-minded. Sober-minded 
I like the fact that he just doesn't say sober, but sober minded, which tells us something about where the attack is actually happening, does it? That in the mind, because Satan is actually a master of ideas. We don't think much about ideas, but ideas have consequences, don't they? Right? Really, we start at behavior, if we're honest. We don't think much about how people got there or how we even got there. <laughs> right? Because if you think about it, all of the patterns, the bad patterns that we, the cycles that we kind of put ourselves into started with an idea. It all starts with an idea. Every major movement that has taken place, good, bad, or indifferent, all started with an idea. Hitler was a man who started with this idea that there was an inferior race. He started with this idea that his race was the superior race and that any and all other races, particularly the Jewish people, should be annihilated, women and children, by whatever means possible. All of that started with an idea, a philosophy. Martin Luther King, he, the civil rights movement is what we saw, but it began with an idea. <laughs> All, every pattern of behavior, each and every one of us has a pattern of behavior that started with an idea. And Satan is a master of ideas, so much so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse Five, we all know it well. Paul understood this well. He understood that, 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 that how important ideas were. As we, as we were walking around last night in Times Square on the jumbotrons, from one jumbotron to the next, there was an idea. <laughs> there was something that was shaping how I see the world. Because if God is not, if it's not God, Something else is doing it. Something else is providing perspective for me. How do I see the world? I saw somebody with a statement shirt on. Their shirt said, make money, not friends. That's how they see the world. That's an idea. That's an idea that will actually make him cold in his relationships. Satan is a master of ideas. That's where it starts. Paul understood this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where he says, Here, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, mighty through God, for the pulling down of the strongholds, for we destroy every argument and every, watch this, lofty idea, <laughs> every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Therefore, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We'll get into that a little bit more later. But Paul the Apostle understood the fight is in the mind. It's a battle of ideas. That's where it all starts. And Satan is the master of ideas. Funneled through hip-hop, funneled through mass media, funneled through, funneled through everywhere you turn, Somebody else is telling you how to think. Master of ideas. So be sober. Be aware. Be sober-minded. Be aware. Be alert. few things that Satan doesn't want you to know about himself. Number one, Satan does not want you to know that he exists. He does not want you to know that he exists. 
Think about this. <laughs> when you think about the way we think, the way the culture portrays, depicts Satan. First of all, it's oftentimes very comical. It's it's pitchfork, it's, it's red suit, it's tail, it's poof, he pops up on a shoulder or pops up in the room. It's typically either very comical or it's very dark. Neither of which are the way in which he actually is. <laughs> Satan, the one thing he does not want you to know is that he actually exists. When you hear people talk about demons, they speak in metaphor. The demons in my mind. I'm battling these demons of my soul. It's a metaphor. That's not real. People are not really thinking demons. <laughs> That's, it's not a real concept. It's not a real ontological. He's not a real ontological being. He's not a real metaphysical force. He's a metaphor for just bad things, bad thoughts. These demons in my mind, they don't really mean demons. They just mean bad things, bad thoughts. Satan, the one thing he wants to convince this world of, including you and I, is that he is not real. I mean, we kind of believe he's real, if we're honest. We believe it because the Bible said, the Bible told me so, that kind of thing, like we learned it in Sunday school. We believe it because maybe week after week we might hear the preacher talk about it a bit. But in terms of being convinced of his presence, in terms of understanding his strategy, which we'll get into in a second where the Bible teaches us not to be ignorant of the devil's strategies, his calculations, because he's strategic. We're not thinking about his strategies, though. We're not trying to, we're not, we're not being careful of how he's angling this, how he's, what his next moves might be, because he's playing chess. <laughs> he's playing chess with us. But, so he would love to keep us convinced that he does not exist. If I can get him, if I could just get him to, if I can dumb down, and this is how he do it, does it. He doesn't make, he doesn't do it by trying to convince you he doesn't exist. He does it by trying to convince us that the realm of the spirit doesn't exist. He doesn't do it by pointing at himself. That would be too obvious. He does it by dumbing down our sensitivity to another realm. <laughs> If he can keep us from considering the other realm. <laughs> See, Satan is not in your face like that. He's too smart. He's way too smart for that. And he knows you're actually too smart for that. He shows up, poof. He shows up, don't believe in me. I'm not here. You can be like, what? <laughs> that's you talking to me. What he wants to convince you of is that that's what all the colleges are doing now trying to convince you that the realm of the spirit is not real, that there's no other realm to consider, that all that there is is that which you see. 
this is the strategy of Satan. Just get them to look at what's in front of them. <laughs> Satan just wants you to look at what's right in front of you. I could just get them to fixate on the natural. If I could get them to fixate on what's in front of them. If I could get them to fixate on circumstance. If I could get them to fixate on who's in, the off, on who's in office. If I could get them to fixate on what the husband did. If I could get them to fixate on what's in front of them, they won't even think I'm around. They don't even consider my presence. And if they don't consider me, they'll fight the wrong fight. They'll go fighting the thing. (laughs) My God. They'll go fighting the thing that's troubling them. They'll go fighting the person. They'll fight the wrong fight. If I can just convince them, the Bible says, Paul the Apostle says, that Paul the Apostle says that the realm of the spirit is, is spiritually discerned. Not, it is not naturally discovered. It is spiritually discerned. It is spiritually discerned. There is another realm The realm of the spirit. That's what I think we need to focus on. The realm of the spirit. And listen, we did not get here by happenstance. Listen, (laughs) listen, our culture did not get to this place of of, of rationalism because that's what it is. It's rational. Christians are now bending up under the weight of rationalism. We're bending up under the weight of empiricism. Empiricism is all that I can see, taste, touch, taste, smell, hear, all that is visible, all that is tangible, all that can be proven by science. That's, that's, if I could just get them to think that that's, that's all that there is. So, so the church even is beginning to bear up under, fall up under, bend up under the weight of rationalism and empiricism. We don't even know where it comes from. We don't even know how we got here. See, that's, this, is what, this is what I want to expose today. We don't know how we got here. We don't know how we went from that faith that we had when we were kids to the wall that we have up now. Shh. How did I get here? <laughs> How did I get from that, that, that faith that I had as a kid when I believed it all? That's why Jesus says, when you come, come to me like kids. When you come, come to me with the faith like a baby. Come like with the faith of a child. Why? Because kids and children are vulnerable and open to, to their imagination. See, kids actually believe the stuff. Now, there's a difference between imagination and faith. We'll get to that in a second. But they, when, they, when they imagine things, they believe it. There's something about that level of vulnerability. There's something about, there's something about that type of faith. Jesus says, I love that. That's what you need if you're going to win this war. You need to actually, you need to believe it. Because as you get older and rationalism starts setting in, those walls start going up and you now become cynics. We disbelieve anything and everything that has to do with the realm that is supernatural. 
Empiricism, rationalism started in the 1800s in the Age of Enlightenment. The Age of Enlightenment came on the heels of another time period called the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages were considered the Dark Ages because people deemed, it was a couple reasons, but one of the reasons was that, that people deemed their, uh, people deemed that, uh, the, I'll just say that the intellects deemed that as a time where uh, everybody believed uh, they filled in all the gaps with something supernatural. So, for example, if, you know, if there was lightning coming from the sky, they would, they would ascribe that to the gods. You understand? So if you watch Game of Thrones, you know what I mean. Everything is the gods, right? The Lord of Light was real, though, on there. But, <laughs> but everything was the gods, right? You, because, because there was no science. There was no science to help us measure what these things actually were or how these things were actually happening. See, now the thing about science is science is actually only intended to answer the how. It should only, it, science should only be able to tell me how I die. What happened is science decided we can actually tell you why. So the Dark Ages was a time period where everything, it, it, they call it the, the God of the gaps. The, so wherever there was a gap, in other words, a gap in understanding. I don't quite understand where tornadoes come from. That must be the God Poseidon. You see what I mean? <laughs> they start from the water, but anything that happened in the water, that must be the God, a tsunami, that must be the God, the God Poseidon must be angry with us. So wherever there was a gap in understanding, people filled in those gaps with gods. So the age of reason or came along, or the Enlightenment period came along, about the 1700s, that came along, they came along and said, wait, 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 let's be reasonable. We can actually identify where this stuff is actually happening, how this stuff is actually happening now, and we're finding it's not the gods, it's really just the warm front and the cold front, and the, so they started coming up with scientific explanations. Now, as opposed to putting those two things together, what they did is they determined that science would bury God. They decided, what they decided is, this is not based on, this is not fact-based, this is not reasonable, this is not rational, all this, the God stuff, this is not reasonable, rational. We understand why this stuff is, I mean, how this stuff is actually happening now, and what they did was, they opened up the door for what's called deism, which says, oh yeah, maybe there's a God out there somewhere, but he's way disconnected from everything that's happening uh, that's ev from everything that's happening in this world. He's disconnected. He's not intimately involved in any way. Maybe he created some stuff, but he stepped off after he was done. So rationalism came along and basically moved God to the side, said, now nah, we're done with all of that stuff now. Let's be reasonable. reasonable. Let's be rational. So we're now, that was 1700. We're in 2019. So the seeds... The seeds of this naturalistic way of thinking were sown in the 1700s, and we're seeing the fruit of it being born in 2019. There's no supernatural realm. 
The Bible says we run into one big problem. Ecclesiastes says eternity has been branded on your heart. In other words, even when you hear that, intuitively you know. <laughs> That's the way I love what God did. Because no matter what's coming from out here, there's, you know how we say, there's just something I can't put my finger on. That's intuition. The Bible says that came from God. Intellect and intuition come from God, the Bible says. So the thing, that's something that's, I can't put my finger on it thing, that's a God thing. That's a thing, that's a spidey sense. It's something that God gave you to let you know something's wrong. Woof! I know I hear what they're saying, but it's, I can't put my finger on it. I can't disprove it. I don't have enough information, but it's something wrong. <laughs> something about it is not right. My intuition tells me something's wrong. There has to be a spirit realm. There has to be more than what is. That doesn't, ex there's so much that that can't explain for me. If all that exists is what is, there are too many things that go unexplained. So Satan doesn't want you to know he exists. He doesn't want you to know that there's another realm. The Bible says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I said, I need you to understand there's another realm. And those realms, watch this, and those realms are actually interconnected. <laughs> Look, he says, thy will be done on earth in the same way that it's being done in heaven. I need you to get this. My will be done in this realm in the same way that it's being done in that realm. I need you to get this. Listen, the movie Us was about the, this government that basically came up with an experiment that went bad. What they did was they sought to clone humans. So, and they did to, on some level. They were sort of successful at it. This group of sort of successful humans that were cloned were called the tethered. Now the tethered, listen, now the tethered lived beneath the surface. And the human counterpart lived above the surface. The tethered was literally you. There was a PD. There was a tethered version of PD. Only the, the, the tethered was a distortion. The tethered was a distortion of me. So it was me, and right now I'm preaching, but, if the, but the tether would be cursing somebody out because it was the distorted version of me. It was doing what I was doing, but just the bad version of it. So what was happening here is the same thing that was happening there. It was just marred. Oh, Lord Jesus. Listen. The Bible says, thy will be done here. God's saying, this version should actually look just like this version. <laughs> yeah. 
if obedience is happening in this realm without question, because in this realm, there's obedience without any without any contest. God sends an angel. He goes without any contest. That's what's happening here. If that if obedience is happening here, then the Bible saying it should be happening here the same way. Thy will be done in this realm. The Bible teaches us, Revelation 4, the angels are crying out, holy, 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 the Lord of God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The Bible says this is what's going on day and night in this realm. Woo! But thy will be done on earth in this realm as it is in this realm, heaven. The Bible acknowledges two realms. I'm not here to convince you Satan is real. I'm here to convince you. There is another realm. The second thing he doesn't want you to know is how he gains access. Because many of us are okay in our understanding that he exists. But we're not clear on how he gains access. How does Satan gain access? What are his points of entry? All of us in this room have had mice. You can raise your hand. It doesn't mean that your house is dirty. It just, they got them in mansions too. The rich people got them too. They need orchid just like we did. It's the same thing. Now, if your house is dirty, they might chill a little more. They might chill a little harder. They might find... <laughs> They, they might feel a little more at home, but right, but that ain't, it ain't because your house is dirty, so it's okay. Well, we had a, we had a mouse. Apparently, it was a, a mother. Yeah. yeah. I know. And this mother, we couldn't figure out what was going on because we just did the normal, oh, go get, get a trap. You see a mouse, oh, go get a trap. We go get a trap and it's done. But we went and got a trap, and we didn't, it wasn't just the one mouse. We did catch the one mouse. We was like, all right, bet. We were celebrating it was over. <laughs> then the next day, we see it. All right, let's go get another trap. Maybe it was two. <laughs> Caught the second one. Oh, we done. All right, baby, good, because, you know, it's a mess for her. But that's what I'm saying. So we think we good. We see another one. So we go, we, so I go out, we get, so for my wife, I got to get, I got to get the big rat traps. I got, like, you got to see the room. Like, I got to set a whole room up. No, seriously, I got to like, set, like, uh, we got to put a whole room off limits. That's just for mice to go to. We put all the food they like, all the, like, it's just for them to come in and eat and get trapped. <laughs> so I set it, I set, so I set up the room. <laughs> And we get the big rat traps. It's only little mice, though. Next day, we come into the room, because so, the room is off limits. So we like, Bet, Summer, don't go in the room. Nobody can go into the room. We go in the room the next day. Four mice on the trap. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> Something's going on here. <laughs> then before you knew it, we started seeing them everywhere. Hanging out the stove. Uh, we was like, it was like ratatouille. It was like... <laughs> We was, you know, like we, 
We could not under. She left for a night. She was like, I'm going over such and such house. She is out. So <laughs> we called a, a professional in. We called in an expert. We was like, we got a problem, bro. <laughs> like, and we don't quite know what to do. We never had an infestation. But apparently what happened was a mother gave birth. So it was just everywhere. And we were, we felt like our hands were tied. Like, this is different. And I'm just, I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting like the glue gun, like Pat trying to, like, <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> I mean, we would, and we saw them do stuff we've never seen. Like, I didn't know it was like, I didn't know mice had like different skill sets. <laughs> like, like we, yeah, we was what they was like. We saw one mouse like jump, like yeah, they were babies, and we saw a mouse like go, saw the trap, and he was like. We <laughs> was like what? We had never seen this before. We didn't know they had special sets of skills. We just thought it was all the same. So <laughs> the expert comes in, right? <laughs> and we like, uh, the expert comes in and he says, well, first of all, we learned a lot. I, we didn't realize how they travel. We learned so much about how they move. Like they need pipes to travel, boom, boom, all of this stuff. Like when they don't go, all of that. So he said to us, though, something that really resonated. He said, it's not about how many traps you set. He said you actually have to seal up the entry points. You got to seal up the entry points. Now, what we didn't realize is how many there were. <laughs> we didn't know how many access points they had. We're not mice. <laughs> See, we be thinking we can outsmart Satan. We're not Satan. We're not demonic. We're not. We're not them. They're not us. We're not mice. They're not us. So there's so much mice don't know about humans, and so much humans don't know about mice. He said, you got to seal up the entry points. What is one of Satan's? Just one. We can't look at all of them. One of Satan's key entry points is unforgiveness. Go to Ephesians. One of Satan's key entry points is unforgiveness. Ephesians 4, 26, when you got it, say, I got it. Listen, listen. See, we don't think of unforgiveness this way. We think of unforgiveness as purely horizontal. We don't think, this is why. This is why I started this message by highlighting the fact that there's something else behind it. What you see is not what you get. There's actually more than meets the eye. Because when we think forgiveness, we think vertical, I mean horizontal. 
We think this way. We think relational only. We don't consider Satan. So the Bible says, Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Watch this. Lest you give an opportunity to the devil. Shh, look at this. Look at, what the, look at what God says. God says, because watch this. All Satan needs is opportunity. That's why he told Jesus, I'll be back at an opportune time. All he's looking for is a crack. And the crack is unforgiveness. He says, if you go to bed mad, this is not just for spouses. I know we use this in the context of marriage a lot. That's actually not the context here. It's not the context of marriage. It's the context of all. This is for everybody. You can't go to bed bitter with somebody else. The Bible says don't go to bed like that. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 5, 23. He says, listen, bring your gift to the altar. Woo! Go to church and sing praise and worship. Go out on the field and be, be, be missional in your endeavors. Make sure you stand up for righteousness. Be a man and a woman of integrity. Fight the fight, the good fight of faith. Make sure you're representing my name well as an ambassador, speaking as the very oracles of God. Bring your gift to the altar. When you come to service, make sure you're bringing your, make sure you're bringing your, make sure you bring your good worship. <laughs> bring your good worship and then take that worship into your household. Bring your gift to the altar. But if you have a problem, since if you have an alt with your brother, if you find fault in something that somebody did, it says, leave your gift. Go to that person and forgive them. Have a conversation with them. If it don't work, he says, I got a system for you in place to make sure this gets resolved. If that don't work, just go into them directly. Bring, them, bring another party, another sober-minded person who can help you sort and sit through this issue so that you can be reconciled but we tried that that didn't work either he says bring it to the elders of the church let everybody rally around you bring the whole bring the whole church around you to help you work through it watch this watch this, Ooh, watch this. he says and the second on the second one he says uh he, he says go get two or three to be witnesses oh my god i'm sorry i get overwhelmed listen he says listen when you got an issue, if you tried to work it out and it didn't work just between the two of you, go get two or three witnesses. Watch this. And then the Bible says there, for when two or three are gathered in my name, <laughs> there I am in the midst. Watch this. That has nothing to do with church attendance. That's not about you having poor, low church attendance. That's all right, baby. With two or three of them, with the tambourine go, when two or three are gathered in my name, there he is in the midst because only two or three showed up. That's not what he's saying. No, this is highlighting Jesus' heart for reconciliation. It says that when you got beef with each other and you bring two or more people into the equation, I'm present. Woo! I am there in your midst. 
The Bible says, do this when there's beef, when there's conflict, when there's issues. He says, lay your, don't bring me your gift with issues. Don't bring me your gift with an alt. Don't bring me your gift with unforgiveness, festering towards a family member, towards your parents, towards people who did things to you when you were younger that you never released. See, listen, this situation that just went on with this, uh, with the black guy who got shot by the white cop and the guy forgave, the, 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 the young black guy forgave her in the court. The people of God have a problem with it. The people of God don't like it. They don't like it. But what they're doing, oh my God, what they don't realize by protesting against forgiveness, they're creating opportunity for Satan to, to gain access. It's an entry point. Go really quickly, 2 Corinthians. Hurry up, let's go. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 2. Watch this. Verse 5. Uh, now, if anyone has caused you pain, he has caused it, caused pain. He has caused it, not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, but to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he will be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Watch this. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. This is why I wrote to you, that I might test and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Watch this. Verse 11. So that we will not be outwitted by the devil. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Watch this. Oh, my God. Watch this. What's happening here is when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, there's an immoral brother, a dude who just is wilding out and infecting the church with it. See, it's not the wilding out part that was a problem. He was wilding because he was having an incestual relationship. So he's wilding, wilding. <laughs> but the wilding, wilding wasn't even the issue. The issue is that the Bible says he was going around the church boasting about it. So when she walked in, he was, there she go right there, right there, right there. He was boasting about it. And Jesus said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So this man is going throughout the church parading his sin. It wasn't his sin. That's what the church is for. Your brokenness and my brokenness. It was the fact that it was the posture of his heart. It was the fact that he broadcasted it. It was the fact that he paraded it as if it was okay. The Bible says that in that moment, Paul the apostle commands the church, you must get rid of him. You must disassociate him. I mean, you must disfellowship him. You must excommunicate him. Watch this. So that his flesh will be destroyed, but his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. So the goal wasn't that he would be destroyed. 
It was so that he would be reconciled, so that he would be restored. Paul is clear on that. Don't kick him out the church to kill him. Kick him out the church so that he can, like the prodigal son, go through a little something, feel the weight of the disconnect, and come running back home. Well, by the time you get here, 2 Corinthians, when Paul is writing his second letter, this same man has sought to return. But when he came back, they looked at him sideways. When he came back, they started whispering amongst themselves. How do we know we can trust this dude? They wanted to hold him hostage for what he did then. Paul the Apostle says, when you are unforgiving, even corporately, God speak in kingdom living, Jesus. When you are corporately unforgiving, watch this. Paul the Apostle says, you create a crack. You create an access point for Satan to leverage your unforgiveness and overwhelm, so overwhelm him with sorrow that he wants to quit. He says, lest he be over, be overcome with, ex overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. He says, when you do that, Satan is outsmarting you. When you're unforgiving, Satan is outsmarted you. When you won't release it, Satan is outsmarted you. Be not ignorant of his devices. I won't get to everything. I'll do one more. We'll be done. He doesn't want you to know how he gains access. But one of the means by which Satan gains access is through unforgiveness. And he doesn't want you to know. We just did this. I'll do two more, but this one is a quick one. He doesn't want you to know. Third one. Second to last, right? He doesn't want you to know what he sounds like. The Bible says that in the moment that Jesus was headed to the cross, it was getting close to that time. The Bible says, and we're familiar with this, Jesus says, I must suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the elders, but I will rise again. So he's proclaiming his death and his resurrection. The Bible says that Peter rebukes him. He says, no, 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 no. Not you. Stop saying that. You don't, you're not, you're not. Come on, I mean. Peter didn't remember, he didn't realize that, that they had already been being set up for this, even in the old covenant. Because in the old covenant, whenever you would get a sheep, you know you had to have an unblemished, unbroken, unspotted lamb for sacrifice. But what the Jewish people had to do is they had to actually take those lambs and they, had to, they had to take those lambs home with them for 14 days. And they had to name the lambs. They built, built relationship with the lamb. Got close to the lamb. And then after the 14 day mark, then they gave the lamb away to be slaughtered. <laughs> Jesus was set. Jesus is 
and they have a point of reference for this already. Growing close and intimate with someone and then having to release them to death. Jesus says, I know you love me. I love you the same, but I must suffer. It's for this reason that I changed. <laughs> Peter says, stop talking like that. Why are you talking like that? And the Bible says, I love this. Mark's account says, and Jesus turned to the disciples and said to Peter. I think that that's an indication that Peter was actually only echoing the sentiment of all the rest of the disciples. And he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The same thing he actually says to Satan himself in the wilderness. And he says, for you have in mind the things of God. Not the affair, I mean the things, the things of man, not the affairs of God. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I don't think he was cool about it. <laughs> like when Jesus is in the wilderness, to me, whenever Jesus, to me, that was an indication that Jesus felt a tug. When he's in the wilderness, I'm not like, I don't think Jesus is just sitting there like, indifferent emotionally I think Jesus is feeling it as we see him in the garden of Gethsemane sweating blood indicating stress I think Jesus is feeling the tug and has to be assertive and aggressive in this war this is the, this is Jesus's moment of spiritual warfare but watch this he says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. So what did Satan sound like? We think Satan always sounds like a monster. Satan sounded like his friend. Anybody in your life that's looking to get you off course. You think that's just your buddy talking. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to his buddy. Satan sounded like his buddy, his friend. The Bible says that the Bible says that God told David, do not number your men. Why? What was the big deal about numbering the men? Well, the big deal about numbering the men was that it was an indication that pride had set in. There was an indication that, 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 that David's confidence was in the military might and not the power of God. God, God, God wanted David, David to have his total, his do not trust in the arm of flesh. Do not trust in horses and chariots. Listen, listen, God just wanted David to put his full weight of confidence on his might and on his power. So when David numbered the men, that was an indication that David had shifted his trust, shifted his confidence to, to his military and not to the power of God. So God tells David, do not number your men. Well, David went ahead and did it anyway. And the Bible says 
that he was incited by the devil to do it. The Bible literally says, and David, having been incited by Satan, numbered the men. So when David goes out and tells Israel, we must number the men, Satan doesn't sound like a monster. He sounds like their king. This is why we must know God's voice. This is why we have to know the voice of God. Because Satan is not, you, he's imperceptible with the human. You can't hear him. You can't see him with the naked eye or hear him with your human ears. This is why the Bible says, let the, the he says, let uh, the he or she who has an ear to hear what the spirit has to say to the churches. Because there is a spiritual discerning. You can't hear Satan. You can only discern them. <laughs> this is why it can't be the voice you're looking for. You can only discern him. This is why we must walk in the spirit. This is why we must be intimately acquainted with the voice of God. This is why we must surround ourselves with spiritual music. This is why we must stay in the word. This is why we must press in prayer, not in some out of some legalistic thing that if I don't do this, God will be mad. No, the only way I get discerning eyes and discerning ears is if I'm pressed into the presence of God. I'm going to stop here. I'll finish the rest of the next service. What does you can play the keyboard is here? We must be aware. If we are not aware, we are not prepared. I think we were talking last night about our children's friends relationships and how young they're starting at this wrestle and wrestling with this issue of identity who am i what's my orientation and how influential these friends are in each other's lives satan doesn't sound like a monster he sounds like your buddies Jesus mm. anybody that seeks to get you off course Jesus and it's always something that you're already wishing you could avoid anyway. Jesus didn't want to have to endure all that came, the implications of the cross. Because it wasn't the death in and of itself that bothered Jesus. It was how 
the relationship between he and the father would be breached as a consequence of he now carrying the weight of our sin. And the Bible teaching us that God, the father, cannot so much as look at sin. So this will be the first time that the fellowship between Jesus and the father would be completely broken. Because he's bearing our sin. That's what Jesus didn't want to do. He's saying to don't tempt me. I already don't want that. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was. If this cup can pass, let it be so. He already was dreading that part of it. When people are trying to talk you out of the thing, you are already struggling with anyway. <laughs> I already don't want to and just fill in the blank. <laughs> that's what Satan is. That's his entry point. What's the thing you don't want to do? The thing you hate most. Then he'll plant those seeds. Here and there and everywhere. You must be sober minded. He's a master of ideas. You must be alert. You must be aware. We're going to be prepared. We must be able to identify his voice. And discern him. We must understand what his entry points and his access points are so that we can guard against them. In Jesus' name, help us. Help us, Lord, to gird ourselves with your truth. Help us, Lord, to be prepared wearing the full armor of God so that we can fight against the evil one. Help us, God, to pray. Help us to do what it is that we don't feel like doing so that we can be strengthened in our spirits, so that we're not vulnerable and susceptible to Satan's strategies. Help us, Lord God. Empower us, Lord God. Strengthen us, Lord God. Day by day. Maybe take it one day at a time. If not, we grow weary. Try to look too far ahead. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.